Spurs give Bournemouth a thrashing but end with a broken cane. Man United leave Liverpool fans spitting while at West Ham disgraceful scenes no one wants to see on a football pitch as Joe Hart gets the start. Also, supporters run onto pitch and out of patience with the Davids. Hang on though, that's not a pitch invasion. This is a pitch invasion, say Continentals, with big trouble at Lille Montpellier and even bigger in Greece with Pout President chasing ref with a handgun. There's Karma 1, Dini nil as Arsenal find their trousers and stop being pants and great strides too for Newcastle. We ask who scored the weekend's best goal and offer polite smiles all round for Rafa's big bumper Bundesliga update. Lewandowski's going where? The answer will shock you in this Totally Football show. Hey, listeners, how are you doing? We've got Raphael Honigstein for you, as I mentioned. Hello. Bringing the noise in a very real sense. Ah, I'll try my best, James. Ah, lovely. Uh, also here today, Daniel Story. Good morning, James. What's the story, Daniel? Well, yeah. I thought you were going to go for Morning Glory, yeah. but well, yeah. it's a bit base. Yeah. <laughs> uh, voice of the Algarve Cup and the CONCACAF Champions League and Chelsea TV, Matt Davis... That's me. Hello, James. Hi, Matt. You were no doubt disappointed as I was that the final of the Algarve Cup ended up being uh, called off because yeah. of the wet weather. That's so, a... but, but they shared the trophy, so that was quite nice. Oh, they're not going to restage it, no. Sweden-Holland? <laughs> no. They just said, how do they share a trophy? Um, I think somebody has it for a couple of months and somebody has it for another couple of months, like in right. the old Charity Shield, if it finishes as a draw style. But there were uh, wonderful scenes, as you always get, with games that are called off because of a waterlogged pitch of all the players joining hands, linking arms, and then sliding across the wet pitch oh. in front of the supporters. Wow. Nice. So, hang on a sec. This is news to me. So, the, the, the Community Shield, or Charity Shield... Yeah. They used to basically just share that if it was a draw. If it was a draw, there was no penalty shootout and one team would get it for six months and then the other team would have it for six months. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Almost like it's completely meaningless. <laughs> <cup anyway. laughs> Unless your name's Jose Mourinho. Wow. Speaking of Jose Mourinho, the Farmyard Derby returned this weekend, Man United taking on Liverpool. I know what happened because I've read your 16 conclusions, Daniel's story. Indeed. 16 conclusions? 16. Always 16, yeah. Wow. Always 16. It's more conclusions than shots on goal. That's true. By a mile. <laughs> Am I right in saying that Pogba out and Rashford in equals Man United's best 45 minutes for a very long time? Yes, uh, that's probably right. Um, Liverpool were uh, complicit in that and... Any team that has a Dejan Lovren playing as Dejan Lovren tends to do on occasions and um, will always find it difficult to defend against a, a brilliant striker like Marcus Rashford. Um, I actually think Manchester United's defending was was better there than their attacking. Um, second half, they were magnificent. Jurgen Klopp said after the game that his team merited a draw, but then also said that they were poor in the crucial moments. And that, to me, is slightly oxymoronic. They had a lot of the ball. They had a lot of territory in the second half. They put Manchester United under pressure, but... Putting Manchester United under pressure doesn't mean you deserve to draw the game, in my mind. Their goal came from a horrific mistake from, from Eric Bailly, who was otherwise magnificent. Um, Liverpool have averaged 7.1 shots per second half, non-blocked in the Premier League this season. They're generally better in the second half at shooting. They had three against Manchester United, which is, I think, their third lowest of the season. Um, in a game when they had all the ball and Manchester United let them have all the ball it was the first time since mid-December that Salah's not had a shot on target and Ashley Young was brilliant mm. and I think they kind of kept them at arm's length um, I think that's as good as anyone has has held off Liverpool for a long time so yeah I think their defending was better than their attacking although the attacking was pretty good wasn't it Rashford looked sensational dropped back in his first start of the year and in a massive game and Lukaku as well Rafa L Lukaku 
is growing into the type of striker that Mourinho needs and wants for his type of game. He wants somebody that is physical, that can lead the line, that he can boot the ball up to. And it almost looked like a choreographed move, the direct flick onto to Rashford, who isolated uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. And I think the Lovren thing is slightly misleading. I think if Arnold has a good game, nothing really happens. You will lose headers uh, occasionally in midfield. It happens, uh, especially if you come on, come up against uh, Lukaku. Unfortunately, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold had a really bad game, uh, got done very naively for the first goal and the second goal turned his back on a curler, which really should never do because there's no pace on the ball. I mean, you don't have to be afraid. Just stand there, cut out the ball, nothing happens. So I think Klopp obviously couldn't say that, couldn't really single him out. But when he talked about the lack of cover and he kind of spoke in code, really what we were saying is that our inexperience was punished a little bit. And I think United had had a wonderful game but it is a wonderful game because the, the ends justify the means. Um, I think if they concede a goal late on, then United ha- fans would probably scream for Mourinho's head because they played so... After he'd taken off Rashford for Fellaini. Yeah, because they were so reactive in the second yeah. half. They played like an away team mm. uh, at home. And Liverpool were OK. I don't think they go away from that game feeling too bad about themselves. But I think it brought into sharp relief a little bit that somebody like Coutinho still would have not gone amiss on on such an occasion where you come up against such a deep side. If you play against really good players who are willing to sacrifice themselves and the ball and really defend, then it comes to playing that final ball. And Oxlade-Chamberlain didn't didn't really produce that ball. Mane, who played played very centrally, Mm -hmm. um, I think in recognition that they needed somebody to play that ball, didn't quite play the ball well enough and that's where that's where things broke down for them even Milner couldn't unlock that Man United defence when you look at this and you think of the 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 other recent success against a big side at at Chelsea there's no alternative no we have to praise Jose Mourinho yeah and initially I was thinking it was a Mourinho masterclass Mm. but really it was quite a simple tactic of of let's let's get it Lovren and and Alexander-Arnold United's goals were their only two shots on target but why in doesn't the match. everybody do that then if it's so simple yeah yeah quite I mean I guess Alexander-Arnold has actually had a pretty decent season hasn't mm. he so so it, it was unfortunate for him but yeah just ruthless efficiency from United and, and Marcus Rashford he does deserve some special praise he's Seven of his 16 Premier League goals now against big six sides, as you say. So it's kind of a reverse Lukaku thing that he's got going on. And on a, on a weekend where there's lots of concern about the England World Cup squad with Harry Kane and you know John Stone's not playing, etc. For him to come in and do that was actually quite heartening from an England perspective as well as as well as for Jose Mourinho. And, and it's good for Mourinho that Rashford played so well because I thought Sanchez was as anonymous as, as Mo Salah was in this yeah. game. Here's a stat. Liverpool... When they last won the league, do you know who was 10 years old? Marcus Rashford's dad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good one. Crazy, no? Rafa, dare I ask you if Klopp maybe could have done things a little bit better tactically? Playing very narrow, they didn't have a plan B, those kind of things? I don't know. If after 24 minutes you're 2-0 down... Mm. Your your tactics kind of go out of the window because you would have come and hoped for United to have a go and then hit them on the break and in fact it completely changes around on its head. After 40 minutes, you're one nil down. After 24 minutes, you're two nil down. 
I think the reason why you hear very little disappointment, I think, from the Liverpool fans is because the team kind of showed up afterwards and it didn't feel as if they are falling apart the way they did against City, for example. Mm. Um, and they played with some kind of muscularity and, and with confidence and with presence. They just didn't couldn't break down uh, United defence. But, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a problem of having a plan A or a plan B. If a team with so many good players decides to defend... Um, a so deep and so uh, so well, then every team in the world will struggle right. to find space. I think the thing that will annoy Klopp most, the incident that will annoy him most, is Virgil van Dijk's missed header in the first half right. because he was four yards from yeah. goal and that was very soon after the second goal and if he scores that, the whole impetus of the game changes and you could see on the touchline he was... Well, he was shocked that, that Van Dijk had missed that because that's a chance he finishes all the time. He, he basically let it hit him on the shoulder and it went wide. And it was, yeah, that kind of changed the game, I think. Yeah. And then, point. you know, they could have had a penalty. The, the Fellaini on Mane one in yeah. the second half looked like a penalty to me. So it could have been different. Could have been different, but it wasn't. Man United then, buoyed by that success, will now take on Sevilla. What's this? Tuesday? Nil nil from the first leg at the Sanchez Pijuan. Sevilla this weekend. Losing 2-0 against Valencia, I always feel it's auspicious, worryingly enough, for Man United when a team loses in the league ahead of a Champions League. I don't know why I think that. There's no statistical <laughs> basis for it. Chelsea, by that it's token... It's a ruse. It's a ruse, yeah. <laughs> Chelsea, by that token, are in trouble because they went and won against Crystal yeah. Palace and they've got Barcelona. What's the mood like at Chelsea where you, you're a, the official spokesman of Chelsea, Matt? Yeah. You're the voice of the Blues... <laughs> What is your voice sounding like? Optimistic? I think there is some optimism. I think it's interesting that reports are that Conte is going to seek some um, consultation from the players as to how he should go for this game. I think the game against Crystal Palace showed the benefit of having specifically Giroud over Morata at the moment because he's in better form, but having a target man. Uh, I interviewed Gary Cahill after the game and he said that the key to Wednesday would be keeping it tight early on. And uh, I sort of wondered if... Maybe it would be better to try and shock Barcelona by going on the front foot early. Obviously, you, you risk conceding a goal doing that, but Chelsea are going to need to score in the match anyway. But if, but if that was his tactics, would he really have said it in public? Well, quite, yeah, maybe. Mm. It's mind games, Matt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he fooled me, didn't he? <laughs> the... Um... The, the victory over Palace was quite narrow in the end, wasn't it? It was It was more narrow than it ought to have been. Chelsea could have been three or four goals up by half-time because Palace didn't really show up for the, um, for the first half. But it, the game completely changed with the introduction of Wilfred Zaha, which is not the first time that somebody would have said that about a Palace game this season. Uh, he was excellent to say that he'd been out for, for a couple of games. Um, Chelsea... Still lacking a little bit of confidence, obviously, but their approach plays really good. It's just a, a case they've been un, unlucky in front of goal. Giroud particularly was in this game. He, he could quite easily have had a couple hit the post. But generally, Chelsea were obviously way better than they have been in the last two games against Manchester. But as Cahill said, it was all about the win on Saturday. It was a, a vital game to win. Um, ideally, to have put some pressure on Spurs, not that they felt it the next day, but I think it Chelsea are going to be left ruining those defeats against Watford and Bournemouth. Well, it, it's, it's Liverpool that's now getting pressure from Chelsea. They're four points ahead of them. Liverpool slipping down to fourth place. Palace, of course, remaining in the bottom three, but there's still only one point of safety because basically nobody else apart from Newcastle in the bottom seven actually managed to get a win. As you say, Wilfred Zahar is back now, which is huge. Kabai, Sacco and, and Loftus-Cheek resuming full training today. Sacco was on the bench. Saka was on the bench, yeah. was he? Yeah. And they've got a big game coming up against Huddersfield. So what do you think? 
Are they going to do it against Barcelona? Um, heart says possibly, head says no. I think I think Barcelona have just got a little bit too much for them. But if Chelsea get the first goal, then it changes everything. And I think that, although the team is almost completely different, they, there will be some stock in the fact that Chelsea have got a very good record against Barcelona. And what happened in 2012, all right, that's getting on for six years ago now. But to have won or to have drawn that game 2-2 in the circumstances where they were, Cahill went off in the first 15 minutes of that match. They ended up with 10 men and Joe Jose Basingua at centre-half hmm. and managed to stop Messi from scoring and go through. So you never know. I mean, Barcelona had a pretty routine win at Malaga, who were bottom of the league this season. Without Messi, who was yeah. off with his son being born. Uh, who's going through, Daniel? Barcelona going through. Rafa? Yes. Mm. Just before we sure finish about up... Sevilla Man United. I still think there's a chance that Sevilla might upset United. I was really surprised how the nil-nil in the first game was fettered as the ideal result, completely neglecting the fact that a score draw knocks mm. United out. And I think Mourinho was, for once, uh, genuine when he said Sevilla is a bigger game um, for us than Liverpool. And I think it's a trickier game in many ways because they they'd be under pressure to to score but not to concede. It's not a it's not a great situation to be in. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power, the home of the Money Back Special. Keep listening to the end of the podcast to find out more. Mention the race for the top four. Of course, Spurs riding out a difficult afternoon at the Vitality Stadium. 4-1 their win over the Cherries. The big news, Harry Kane, though, doing his right ankle the third time in 18 months. Prepare for pictures of ankles on tabloid newspapers. Yeah. And, yeah. What do you think it's going to be that bad? Um, I don't know. I wouldn't like to speculate. But last time I was here, we were talking, weren't we, about who's nailed on for a starting place in the England World Cup side. And he was one of very few names that we came up with. That's true. Yeah. Uh, he's going to miss, sort of, you'd think, the friendlies against Holland and Italy. Last time, uh, last season rather, he missed 14 matches and two separate injuries to the same joint. But the, uh, Mark Canary pointing out that Spurs actually played pretty well without him. Goals being shared throughout the team, which certainly was the case here, with particular uh, Young Min Son having another fantastic performance. And uh, props to match of the day's Conor McNamara for the uh, Son scores on Mother's Day line, which oh, I, I rather nice. enjoyed. Yeah, 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 that is good. Also, he had a new handshake. Uh, Deli Ali incurred the wrath of a lot of well, right-thinking people when he. Did his special handshake, but Young Winson, everyone loves Young Winson. Yeah, he is um, the, the power of a smiling footballer. Mm. Um, any footballer that looks like they are whistling their way through matches um, immediately generates a huge amount of goodwill. And in Son's defence, he doesn't just whistle through matches, he also tries very hard, he also produces constantly. And when put into that number nine position, with a little bit of worry in that game from Spurs, 1 0 mm. down, no, no central striker, he was as good as Kane's been all season. Yeah, he got a brace away from home as well because usually he only scores mm. at Wembley. Seven right. in four games he's got, which is How as many? many. Seven in four games, what? which is as many as he got in his previous 22. I know he moved into Kane's position yesterday, but you kind mm. of feel like he's responded quite well to Lamella's return, which has obviously put some pressure on his place. Uh, but yeah, he's going to keep it if he keeps scoring at the rate he is at the moment. Indeed. There's also a really moving interview with him on Al Jazeera after the uh, oh, Juventus yeah. game where he basically was crying. On camera, and uh, it's unusual to see a footballer actually being knocked out in the Champions League, and it means that much to them. 
because a lot of them are sort of smiling afterwards. Was it like, maybe yeah, from you know. when Barzali stepped on his leg a couple of times? <laughs> no, no, this was this was afterwards. This was a genuine pain mm. about being knocked out in a game that they could have won. Of oh, course. I feel rotten that. Yeah. It's okay, you should. Uh, now, he's he's lovely. And he is the guy I think that surprised me most because when he was bought from Leverkusen, a lot of people in Germany thought, oh, this is Spurs just doing, being absolutely idiotic, buying this guy who's so flimsy and inconsistent for 30 million euros. What idiots. Stupid English money. Thank you very much. Um, and he's completely changed, I think, in the way he plays and his efficiency up front has just become marvellous. Remarkable. Moving across town, uh, here's Mark Finnegan with an interesting stat. David Moyes could get both Sunderland and West Ham relegated and still have a year left on his Man United contract. Mm, that's good. That's one of those tweets that you see you end up seeing about 25 times because oh, all, the, all the great and good enjoyed it. And rightly so. It's great. Yeah. Right. It, probably factually incorrect, though. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It was a seven-year contract with various get-out clauses after certain oh, stages, right. no, wasn't it? What happens, also, if, what happens is if you're on a contract and you get fired yeah. and then you take another job, yeah. then that contract is no longer valid. So, Killjoy. Sorry. Yeah. Way to it's very important to get these things right in today's age of fake, fake news, news and fake memes and all that stuff. No, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I like uh, Rafa, some West Ham are also justice. three points clear of the bottom three. So, you know, as it stands, they're set to stay up. Despite losing 3-0 at home to Burnley. Interesting way to mark the 25th anniversary of Bobby Moore's death, all in all. First off, the performance. That's now three straight defeats. Ten, goal, ten goals conceded. Putting Joe Hart back in didn't work out too well for Moyes. Mm, I'm not sure that was massively Joe Hart's fault. Uh, One of the goals, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, I saw I, I covered the West Ham game at Swansea last week and they oh. were so poor in that that uh, I was absolutely amazed. But, you know, it might have been a different game if Pope hadn't saved well from Lanzini at 0-0 and that, was, that sort of amplified the problem for Joe Hart, I think, that you had. Burnley's standing goalie, if we can still call Nick Pope that, playing really well at one end and, and Joe Hart not doing so at the other. But uh, Burnley were really, really efficient with their chances, weren't they? The first two shots on target they had, I think, were, were both goals. But West Ham, yeah, then it then it all went pretty bad, didn't it? Then it all fell down, yeah. And a lot of the... the there seemed to be a, a message, a, a general desire from West Ham's players to suggest that the pitch invasion was what threw them off their balance. Is, do you think that's fair, Daniel? Yeah, I, I, only if those people have been on the pitch since August. <laughs> is that a fair excuse? Um, threw Mark Noble off his balance. Yes. Mm. Uh, passion for Mark Noble, that is no surprise. Uh, it was extraordinary. It was an absolutely extraordinary afternoon. It was the story of the weekend on a weekend when Manchester United played Liverpool. Um, I really, really... Nobody's advocating violence. Nobody's advocating storming on the pitch. Unless you hold a corner flag above your head, that's brilliant. Um, but the way West Ham's owners and the reaction to it of kind of holding their hands up and going, we didn't see this coming, is scandalous. This is a club that is completely complicit in everything that is happening to them at the moment. The owners lied to the fans. They said, Karen Brady came out and said, moving to this stadium will put us in a better position than Tottenham. It said, we'll, we'll be able to compete for European football. They spent net 25 million on players since they moved there, which with the increase in broadcast revenues is, is scandalous. Um, their, their, their planning, if you can even call it that, is, well, it's non-existent. There's, there's no long-term plan for buying players, for hiring managers, for playing with any sort of shape on the pitch. It's just throw some players on the pitch and hope it works. Some weeks it has worked and most weeks it hasn't. Um, and 
the fan base are sick of it. They're sick of being lied to. Um, and I really don't like the way... We had it with Arsenal where everyone went, oh, Arsenal fans are entitled. They, d- they don't deserve to win trophies because there's teams worse off than them, like West Ham. West Ham do it and people say, well, what about Sunderland? If any fan should be protesting, it should be Sunderland. And Sunderland, like Orient. Yeah, and Sunderland do it and then they go, well, Hartlepool are collapsing down the road. So how, how, there's, al- there's always someone worse off than mm. you. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be allowed to protest. Yeah. They, they, um, no, I completely agree with you. Obviously, some of the protests overstep the yes, line. of course. Quite is, literally, yes. four separate pitch invasions. And the angry scenes and supposedly one of the, uh, I think it was it David Sullivan hit by a coin, which may well prove handy, actually. Uh, <laughs> and, the, and the iconic the, the, the iconic shot of Trevor Brooking, yeah. Stilo, which I think upset everybody. Of course, and you feel sorry for, for Trevor Brooking, but his anger, and he came out and said, that, you know, the scenes were deplorable and, and they were, but his anger, some of his anger will be reserved for those people in charge who, yeah. you know, someone like Brooking should be involved in the decision-making of that club rather than the three people they have who are just... You know, leaders by complete non-example, and yeah, I, I think they're going down, and I think they deserve to go down, and I don't think the fans deserve them to go down. And uh, no, of course they shouldn't protest on the pitch. Of course they shouldn't try and storm a director's box. But anyone at West Ham that looks at that and goes, "Well, we didn't really see this coming," has had their eyes closed for eight months. I felt uh, sorry for the supporters in the stands, actually, not the mm. ones on the pitch, because they had the sort of the double hit, didn't they? They saw what was going on with their own supporters spoiling the game making people uncomfortable people coming back and then fights breaking out in the Mm. stands you know you've got people who would have been going to Upton Park or wherever for for 30 years plus and and this was as Daniel says this this is just not what they were sold you know right from the very start Mm. of them moving um, to the London Stadium you'd you'd have thought the first thing they would have done would be by a marquee player to put in that side. You know, okay, this is our new stadium. This is how serious we are. Here's our well, uh, 40, 50 million pound player. Chicharito, I suppose, was the closest we, mm, we came to that. But they sold Dimitri Payet, who, yeah. who was their marquee player. Uh, but that wasn't well, that wasn't entirely their choice, I guess. I mean, yeah. he did essentially said the, that he would... The idea, of, the idea of, a cl- of a fan base wanting to win trophies is a complete misnomer to me. West Ham fans don't expect to win trophies or expect to finish in a certain league position, just like Arsenal don't. What they expect is to have a club where they can be confident that the people running the show have the best interests of the club at heart and, and have everyone pointing in the right direction. And at the moment, at West Ham, everyone's facing each other and fighting each other and and nothing's moving forward at all. So well, everyone's head off to Miami for warm weather training. Indeed, yes. That's a great idea. Haven't yeah, been any issues yeah. with warm weather training this no. season. It worked well, well for David Basking Moyes the... at Sunderland, didn't he, when he yeah. went off to... Oh, no, hang on, it didn't, did it? Basking in the club with the heaters on. That's yeah. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's bad, isn't it? Uh, Burnley, well done, Burnley. That's yeah, their first away win since November. Rafa, yeah, no, for sure. Say. Well, Karen Brady wrote a column in 2011 um, predicting a wonderful future for West Ham and also welcoming back the um, World Cup winning team uh, of England uh, under Harry Redknapp in 2014. Unfortunately, that column is no longer online. <laughs> the columns, what else did she have the, in it? The columns either side of that one are online. So if anyone's got it, please please oh, send it forward. that's gold. So basically, by 2014, England have won the World Cup and yeah. West Ham are... West Ham have half the team. Because European it's, giants. Yeah, that's all. Red has a statue. Yeah. Wow. You've read that, Danny, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you have that, please, please get in touch. Burnley, anyway, their first win away since November. Only four shots on target, three goals. Do West Ham face repercussions in terms of points docked and 
matches behind closed doors? I my guess no. is yeah, my guess is a massive fine and because it's uh, not the first time they've had trouble there. I mean, the... No, but never never on the pitch, which is what they'll be charged with. Okay. Um, uh, I sus- uh, my hunch is a massive fine and a suspended behind closed doors. It would have sentence. been different, I think, if one of the Burnley players would have been hurt or mm. if the referee would have had to take the players off. Right. Um, but they dealt with it quite coolly. So, mm. But yeah. you, you almost feel like they need something like a stadium ban or a points deduction to address the issues that there are with the stadium as regards to the setup of the stewarding and the fact that, you know, when they first moved there, they had fans who wanted to be rowdy mixed in with supporters who wanted to sit and watch the game and all this kind of thing. And, you sort of feel like if they got a, you know, if they get a fifty grand fine or whatever, they can say, oh well, you know, we'll try and learn from it. But if they were actually hit with some uh, serious thing like a stadium uh, behind closed doors game or a couple of points deductions, then okay, this is something we seriously need to look at. We, we we're paying this group of stewards, you know, somewhere around minimum wage, and then expecting them to go on and tackle people who might be members of the intercity firm or whatever, and. Why, why would you? There's a really good article by John Nicholson on, on Daniel's site today about this. And it, it just seems like it's an easy way for clubs to pass responsibility. Well, the stewarding's not our issue. We subcontract that out to somebody else. And it's just classic buck passing, really. There are, there are a number of West Ham supporters who will consider a stadium ban as some sort of reward after the last few games. Um, I, I don't think anything helps them at the moment. I think they are doomed. They're, They're running going down, dis- Daniel's story. Yeah, the running's dismal as well. Brady-esque. <laughs> yeah, call to arms to Karen yeah. Brady. You want you wonder what you know what really what the solution is here because they're not an attractive takeover target. Not having a stadium that is viable really for football. Anyone wants to really go and see a game, I would suggest. suggest yeah. yeah, I don't I know, Rafa. They they got a, a, a massive stadium, oh, but it's and they get it rent. Almost, I mean, they get it for a peppercorn rent, and apparently, oh, I was reading today that the, the rent actually is reduced if they mm. do go down to the championship, as they will, says Daniel Story. <laughs> but do go on. No, it might be it might be that it's a good business case, but as a as a sort of a proposition for someone who gets excited about doing anything in mm. football and wants it maybe as a kind of soft power move because you happen to represent a. Uh, autocratic regime somewhere in, in a horrible area of the world it, it just doesn't really strike you as very attractive um, with those fans having all these issues and these issues will not go away as long as they're in that stadium which they absolutely detest so it's it's not great wow and it's sort of seen as a cautionary tale for the likes of Everton and Chelsea and Spurs to a lesser extent clubs who are looking to move stadiums in the near future but the, the difference is that they're moving into grounds built for football right and West Ham are in an athletic stadium Crowd trouble, anyway, wasn't uh, only at London Stadium. There were ugly scenes at Lille-Montpellier. The Lille players were forced to flee the pitch at the Stade Pierre-Mauroix after their 1-1 draw with Montpellier. Their own fans, uh, who were a little bit upset, again, sold a dream, living a nightmare. They're down in the relegation zone and uh, second bottom, actually. That point, not a huge help to them. But all of that paled in comparison to what happened at the Pauk Salonica against AEK. Apologies if I've mispronounced that game uh, this weekend in the Greek Super League. Did you see this, Rafa? I did not see it, but I saw the pictures of the Pauk president with... Um, with his handgun. Yeah. Open carrying, yeah. So, Charles Duxbury... Hello to you, Charles, by the way. Uh, had the background, which he, he, he very kindly... But, you know, the detailed exactly what the context for this was. Powell, who were in a title race with AEK and Olympiakos, had been deducted uh, after 
problems at their match with Olympiacos when the uh, opposition manager got hit by an object thrown from the crowd. With the three-point deduction, they were seven points behind the leaders, AEK, who they played this weekend. Also, they had fans bow, uh, banned and, the, and their stadium closed for this weekend's match. But literally hours before the game, all that was reversed. Fans were allowed in the stadium and they moved back to four points behind AEK. The game is goalless until the 89th minute when Pauk score and now they're only one point off the top. Referee gives goal, everybody celebrates. But about two minutes later, the referee disallows the goal after talking to a linesman, a couple of minutes afterwards. The Pauk president storms onto the pitch with three bodyguards. The officials make a run for it, fans riot, uh, the game gets suspended. The president comes back this time with the gun, which he might have had. He's taken his coat off. Now everyone can see he's carrying. And uh, AEK then refused to go anywhere near the pitch again. But Pauk finished the evening off by saying that the referee had changed his mind again and rewarded the goal. Not surprisingly, perhaps, yeah, in the circumstances. You, you would, wouldn't you? you? Would. And now it's 1-0. If you look on the Greek Super League website, it does say 1-0 to Pauk for the moment. Mm. which means that they are very much back in the title picture. Until they have 12 points deducted in a week's Absolutely, time. Absolutely, yeah. They possibly might revisit their decision about the Olympiacos game as well, which could see them come back into the title picture as well. Also, Greek police have apparently issued a warrant for the arrest of the power owner Savidis and his three bodyguards. Mm. Actually, Mayan Matt's If only they planted club. a corner flag in the yes. middle of the pitch instead. Well, Mayan Matt's football club, Nottingham Forest, our new owner is... Um, Evangelos Marinakis, who's the former Olympiacos owner, and he was on, um, I'll be careful how I phrase this, but he is on charges of match-fixing and burning down the refer- a referee's bakery Oh, in response to a penalty decision given last minute. So it's fair to say that Greek chairman owners have form for this sort of thing. Did he take a handgun to the fit and proper test meeting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Luckily, you don't need to, apparently. He, wow. I mean, he, he is more fit and proper than our former owner, which helps. Speaking of arson, everybody, Wenger in. 2-0 against Milan on Thursday, 3-0 against Watford on Sunday. Is this their classic late season, a little bit too late to actually win things run or something bigger? I bet you believe, don't you, Rafa? Uh, (laughs) Believe in what? Um, I think they could win the Europa League, Yeah, the the way things are falling. I think there's only Atletico um, Madrid really as one team that would frighten them at this point. Um, Dortmund look as if they get knocked out. Leipzig aren't that great. If they can vote Atletico, they can they can do it. They can even beat Atletico over one leg. Although I'd make Atletico favourites with Griezmann being back in form. But yeah, it's it's viable. Whether that will be enough for the board to you know to take a view that everything that they've seen gone wrong this season actually now is magically kind of didn't exist or is rectified or we can believe in a better future and Wenger, I'm not so sure so does Wenger be... actually face the board at the end of this season he, he himself admitted it uh, that there is a kind of review going on but I think he was also basically saying that this is just a advisory <laughs> kind of situation where no one's going to actually stand up to him and say well, you mm. are f- getting fired that it is still his decision whether he honours that contract I think it could have been a situation where if they'd kept on losing games get knocked out uh, against Milan that you we wouldn't have seen a West Ham type situation but the the bars the you know the resistance to Wenger staying for Navier would have been so great that even 
passive owners like like the crunk like crunky and his son would have said okay we don't want that kind of toxicity right and we need to make a decision but i think as long as they can somehow pretend that everything is more or less okay they're reluctant to to get rid of anger and i think the the thing is what we should never forget is that people that are in charge there you know gazidis and uh, all the players they all owe so much to Wenger that they're all very reluctant to be the guy uh, who sticks the knife in. Mm. Um, you what just you want is... him to, to do that himself. Right. What, what do you think is behind Arsenal's kind of two-game revival? Is it Ozil being allowed to... not having Sanchez treading on his toes anymore? Or what's the... I mean, what the Watford game was, was kind of an aside. Watford were pretty poor in the first half. But they were great, for example, at San Siro. Yeah, they did. Admittedly they... against a team with... Who? Barini, Suzo and Kalinic up mm. front. I think the interesting thing now and the thing that helped him is that Wenger, for as long as he could, kind of ignored the idea of, of, of sacrificing the Premier League and focusing only on the Europa League. Um, he saw that as, a, a, as an omission of weakness and he's not very good at doing that. Um, he has done it now. The team he picked against Watford, Ramsey was left out of the squad completely um, and they left players on the bench as well. So clearly they're going for the all eggs in, the Mourinho all-eggs-in-one basket for the Europa League approach now. Um, they're through against Milan, I think, barring a ridiculous collapse, but I think they are. And Rafa's are absolutely right. There is only Atletico there that they will fear. And, and it, it's very strange because I don't think the Wenger should say, and it, <laughs> there's very few Arsenal fans do, but... Jose Mourinho last year won a League Cup and Europa League and finished sixth in the league. And Wenger will finish sixth in the league. And if he wins Europa League, then there's only the League Cup as the difference between those two seasons. Mm. And a Manchester United fan sold that up as a good as a good season. I know that clubs are moving in different directions, but I think this if they win Europa League, that's one of Arsenal's best seasons for a decade, weirdly. Yeah. Um and yet I still think he should go. Paul Scores is my hero, says, uh, can AC Jimbo show genuine surprises Arsenal do a number on AC Milan? Also, why did Milan lose? Well, I think Arsenal were great, but Milan didn't play very badly. That was the weird thing. They are a team that were playing their first knockout match in four years in in Europe and very, very inexperienced, which I think may kind of suggest something about why they weren't able to, to break back. But also, I think this is part of the problem with City is that the football's by and large pretty good. It's the finishing. And I think this is where City has been hit largely is 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 in the you know the big name scorers up front i think the amount of chances and opportunities that italian clubs are, i mean certainly in that game i thought that they they actually played pretty well for kind of three quarters of the pitch mm. but just never really kind of mounted a serious attack i completely agree i think the individual quality of arsenal a team that are in a similar position to milan are in in serie a arsenal by miles have have better individual players i mean it doesn't always it's not always a the right thing to say, but you look at Milan's team and very few get anywhere near the starting eleven of Arsenal. And this is an Arsenal team that have problems in a lot of positions. So I think the difference in individual quality is really is quite vast still. Mm. Can I just say one thing? Because yeah. uh, you asked about Alexis Sanchez oh, and, yeah. and, and Mesut. Um, it's become a bit of a joke, I think, to kind of laugh at Arsenal because they, they made the noises of, yeah, finally we got rid of Alexis Sanchez and look what's happened to them. But I think it's been underreported just how badly that the whole dressing room hated Alexis Sanchez. Uh, they really felt that he was just playing up the camera, doing all these things like, oh, I'm trying, but no one else is. What am I doing here? And then quite tellingly, Wenger, and he talked about this last year, if you go back, Wenger, well, not Wenger, but Arsenal, they put up stats uh, inside the dressing room after every game showing the amount of kilometres run, the passing and so on, and Sanchez would regularly come out with the lowest um, mileage by 
by a big distance. Really? And the players were just absolutely, you know, go bananas at him playing to the camera and just making all these moves of, oh, I'm just, they're just not worthy of me. What am I doing here? So they really wanted to get rid of him. Whether they've improved as a team is a different story. Um, but I think it is a happier dressing room, mm. no doubt. Ozil's um, player who gets a lot of stick, but he, on Sunday, became the fastest player to 50 Premier League assists. So he's worth a little bit of praise as well, I think. Certainly. All right. Europa League returns on Thursday with Arsenal defending that 2-0 lead at home to Milan. Very nearly wasn't enough their 3-0 win away at Ostersund, of course. So, you know... Yeah, nothing's over till it's over with Arsenal, but we'll see. And they almost in the Champions League game, they almost did the reverse when they lost four 0 in in Milan and then beat them three 0 at oh, home yeah, in the second true. leg as well. So, um, yeah, Different, I mean yeah, Arsenal, yeah. yeah, and Arsenal are a club that can find disaster in any corner, but I, I think they'll probably be absolutely fine. They, none of the players that they rely on on Thursday tested themselves or particularly strenuously against Watford, so I think they'll be fine. Right. I wonder, wonder if Petr Cech saving a penalty for the first time in his Arsenal career will mean that he'll get to play on Thursday. Ooh. Was that the first ever time? Uh, yeah. 16th penalty wow. he'd faced for Arsenal, first one he'd saved. OK. And let's go anyway. Favourites to win the trophy, uh, currently 3-0 winners at home to Lokomotiv Moscow. Lazio got held at the Olympico 2-2 by Dinamo Kiev. Liam Bitsieske 1-0. Marseille beat Athletic Bilbao 3-0. It was quite a shock. As was Salzburg beating Dortmund. Hugely embarrassing result for um, for Dortmund and for Peter Stöger, who's Austrian. Ah. And uh, for any German team to get beat by an Austrian team is always bad. For Dortmund, it was particularly bad because they boycott, effectively boycotted some of the marketing uh, around this game, saying we don't want any half-and-half half scarves with our logo next to a drinks company. And they got beaten um, in, in a competition that they don't have to win because they look well placed to make the Champions League through the league but would like to win um, and um, they've got a tough tough second leg now to to turn us around against mm. a very well coached uh, Leipzig uh, sorry very well coached Salzburg team by Marco Rosa who's really one of the up and coming coaches incidentally one of those guys who grew up um, under Wolfgang Frank and Jurgen Klopp at Mainz there you go there you go. So, yeah, as you say, they're well-placed-ish. They are third right now in the Bundesliga, where it's tight. You've got obviously Bayern top, then Schalke. Dortmund are a point behind them, and a point behind them are Leverkusen with the exciting Leon Bailey. Oh, then you've got Eintracht Frankfurt, bizarrely, in fifth place after a massive win for Dortmund who against Eintracht Frankfurt with a big surprise. Yeah, last-minute goal from Michi Bachwai. He came on, he scored two goals. His finishing is, is off the charts. He's so good. Dortmund, again, really played quite poorly after a good start and a great um, opening goal, which was an own goal, but it just came from a beautiful move from uh, Christian Pulisic. And Frankfurt are the kind of team where you find it very difficult to explain why it is that they are up in uh, in, in the Champions League places but they are very they're very physical they don't give away a lot they have the second best defense in the league they are very efficient they win games with very few goals and they were well wor worth that point and really unlucky to come away with nothing and I think for Dortmund, even though it was a win that cements their position in the top four and buys a bit of breathing space and time again for Peter Stöger, I think really have to make up their mind whether he is the right guy taking this team forward because they have so much quality on the pitch, especially in, 
in the attacking positions uh, with Royce coming back to his, his very best. But there is very little by way of a cohesive game, a rhythm, a kind of dominance on the ball. It's all very bitty and uh, intermittent and uninspiring, really. And Royce was asked after the game, you know, this was much better than the Salzburg defeat. And he said, yes, first half. And he said, yeah, well, what about the second half? Second half was scheiße. He said he literally... He literally wow. said scheiße. Crikey. I think they need to really think hard whether Stöger, who they like because he plays cards with the board, uh, chairman of the board, and is always in an open office and likes to talk about the tactics with the bosses and stuff, is actually a big enough manager for this, for this team. As for the Frankfurt manager, the boys from Frankfurt... Niko Kovac. Niko Kovac. Kovac bouncing back terrifically from his spell, his less successful spell with Croatia. Uh, we, we better mention Bayern, who, looking good for the title, ahead of their clash with Besiktas in the Champions League, which is also looking pretty good for. Was it 5-0? Yeah. yeah. There'll yeah. be some players rested because they're on yellow cards. I think there's no Kimmich, no uh, Lewandowski. OK. One more, I think. And... 6-0, just the six this weekend against Hamburg. Hamburg so, now, they've conceded so many goals in their last visits that uh, it's hard to get an actu- accurate figure. Um, some people are saying it's 60. <laughs> some what, it's how many visits? Seven or eight. Yeah. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. It was 6-0 last week. They eight there twice yeah. quite recently. It was last, last, week, last year was 6-0. So this is actually a there bad a, performance for Bayern. There was a 9-2. <laughs> No, this was this was just another horrific performance from Hamburg, who are um, really running out of time for once after having always been there from the very most first moment the Bundesliga was uh, introduced in '63. And it looks as if Bernd Hollerbach, who'd only been appointed seven games ago, will will be fired as well. He's toast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but anyway, so he's uh, yeah yeah. It looks as if Christian Titz, no sniggering at the back, will. Will be taking over. All right, as they make a clean breast of it. Absolutely. Nice. Brian, oh, yeah, Lewandowski got a hat trick and could have had four if he hadn't missed the penalty. And, oh, my word, the fifth goal from Frank Ribery. Rafa, was that the goal of the weekend? It wasn't quite. It was certainly the goal at the Allianz Arena and it was Frank, uh, Frank uh, rolling back the years, mm. but against a strange um, kind of non <laughs> physical, non presence. Uh, from Hamburg, it looked a little bit like that phantom punch. You know, he just goes through, oh. just goes through players. Yeah, um, yeah. Lovely goal. Lovely goal, and uh, and good for Bayern because without Kingsley Coman, who's injured sadly and won't be featuring much before the end of the season, if at all, they need once again uh, those two old guys, Ribery and Robin, to produce if they want to do anything in the Champions League. All right, very nice. Of course, uh, Jin Sancho, Adamola Lookman, and Reese Oxford. Uh, how are they getting on? Generally speaking, they're doing they're doing very well. Right. And this quote uh, we we wanted to talk about this another time, and we ran out of time. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach sporting director Max Eberl saying recently that in Germany they follow every English national game, the under 16s, the under 17s, and so on. They know every top player in England, and he's saying that age group of 99, 2000, 2001. You could take every player. It's unbelievable. For me, says Max, they're the best in the world of that age group. There you like go. Competitions are kind of bearing and them out at the moment. Delicious Bundes- irony to, to Germany being the ones to do more than England to win as the World Cup. But <laughs> good. <laughs> no, but Bundesliga can be the finishing school for these guys who have a very hard time getting into their respective teams. I think Jaden Sancho was very, very smart to go to Dortmund, where he's, of course, he's not a regular just yet, but he has seen quite a few 
minutes on um, on the on the pitch. Um, if he'd been in City, I think it would have been very hard for him. Mm. And uh, Big Sam spitting feathers, of course, over Adam Ola-Lukman's decision to uh, tread a, s- a similar route. We're going to stop there, come back with some of your questions, more goal of the weekend contenders, more other leagues business, and more, of course, from the Premier League. Wowzers. Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the FTSE, then you need to get yourself over to the Football Stock Market Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of the Premier League, League One, Serie A, La Liga and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with their 7-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. T's and C's apply. You must be over 18. Deposit required. And please trade responsibly. This time next week, next Monday, that's what I'm saying, people, we're going to be in Dublin, Ireland's fair city, for our live show with Pat Nevin. Due to phenomenal demand, I'm happy to say we've released another batch of tickets. Is that genuinely what happened, producer Ben? Or are these the ones that were there anyway? No, apparently it's a fresh set of tickets. You can get your hands on them at ticketmaster.ie, but only if you're quick. Captain Beardy Man FM would like a, a shout-out or a goo-blaine because he's doing training for the London Marathon. Go on. Go Keep on, going, Blaine. Hey. Oh, mind that. Oof. Don't you charge for this usually, James? No, no, no. Daniel Schilling... Following on from the solid colour stripe stat from last week, when was the last time a team won the top flight wearing stripes? 1935-36, Sunderland. I followed the tweet conversation that he tweeted back to us and someone answered his question very kindly. So I've made myself sound clever, but then admitted it. Take that bit out, Ben. (laughs) Of course, it happens every single year in Italy, but that's different, isn't it? That's remarkable. So nobody's won wearing stripes since, Daniel? 1935-36, apparently. Sunderland. Crikey. Uh, Mr Podge says, after Sergio Ramos's bathroom break, what other toilet-related incidents during a football match spring to mind? I can think of Lineker, Lehmann and Solskjaer to, sh- to start. Now, first off, this is Sergio Ramos, who, who left the field kind of with a newspaper under his arm in the 76th minute for Real Madrid against Ibar, mm. did his business and came back out again, which is phenomenal strength of mind and purpose because I don't know if, I mean, you know, that kind of pressure necessarily facilitates uh, the performance of what? The version I heard ah. was that... He'd um, already done a la, his a He'd already it was done necessity rather than choice. Yeah. That makes a lot Jason more... Jason left. That, yes. Southampton, didn't he? He left the pitch and came back on again, having excused himself. They and the, and the supporters were chanting, yes. he, he shies us when he wants. Oh, there you go. That's <laughs> nice. But the question about which other toilet-related incidents... So Lineker, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lemon behind the advertising hoarding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solskjaer, what did he do? I don't remember Solskjaer. Do you remember? Does anyone remember what Solskjaer no. did? No. Okay. There was a pissed all over by Munich's defence in 1999. That'll be the one. <laughs> there was a there was a non-league story <laughs> not long ago. The keeper wasn't there. The keeper yeah. went in his ah. net and was booked for doing so. Yes. Uh, was it? So was it who Salford United were playing? Possibly. It was, yeah, Salford City versus somebody. City, yeah, and the keeper yeah, yeah, the keeper took a, an unscheduled break and got booked for it. Yeah. Not quite on the on the What are you gonna do? I mean, booking, you know, but... if 
Of course, in, in cycling they do that all the time, but equally they are likely to be fined if they do it in two. If they do it, say, coming out of a feed zone where there's lots of people around and all that, mm. and they get their business out, to, so that they're encouraged to do it. Yeah. On a less I guess the, the goalie was kind of risking flashing, I suppose, wasn't he? Of course, it's not the only problem regarding urine and cycling. But, uh, <laughs> no. yeah. Apparently in swimming it's a big thing. Well, I suppose it would I mean, be, wouldn't no, it? I read, I read, Generally in public pools. No, but I read <laughs> that... No, but even, even professional swimmers, right. they admit... There was a big article, I think, with um, someone who, who won a medal, hmm. that you basically swim through yeah, loads of stuff because right. people have no time to... Clean the pool. To get out of the pool. I would imagine rock climbing would be an issue with as well. Why? Well, you know, you can imagine if you're the next man up and the, this stuff comes, the guy above you. Is that one of your weird dreams, James? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Anyway, um, moving along, Thomas Burkhan says, please talk about Per Mertzsacker's interview with De Spiegel and give your views on his comments about the pressures of being a professional footballer. Pressures that led to him being sick. Yeah, he for a number of years felt um, had like a gagging reflex before every single game mm-hmm. um, had to go to the toilet all the time just even not actually feeling it as a pressure but the body was basically saying I don't want to be here um, he dealt with it because you know every single game it happened to him but he, he'd all, almost forgotten about it but the fact now that he's about to retire and he's uh, preparing his autobiography. <laughs> uh, full transparency, I'm, I'm writing it with him. He's, um, he started to think about these things and basically kind of acknowledged them to himself. When did this pressure stop? Was it when he moved to Arsenal? No, no, it did not. Um, it only just stopped now that he's no longer really involved okay. in, in matchday squads. He still trains, but um, one of the things that riled one or two proper football men in Germany is that in the interview he also admitted that now that his career is winding down and he feels he's no longer able to really perform at his best he's he's happier sitting on the bench and even in the stands rather than being on the pitch and and dealing with pressure that he feels he can no longer live with because his body can't can't perform wow interesting um and they they took offense to that and he also admitted to um after the 2006 semi-final against italy as much as they were disappo- disappointed as a team and distraught about getting knocked out. He felt very relieved because he'd been under so much pressure not to make any mistakes as a as a 19 or 20-year-old in his first big tournament that he felt, at that moment, he felt relieved that he'd come through the tournament without a mistake. And that he didn't have to play the final as the, almost the biggest test of all. No, 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 he didn't. No, no, it's not that. It's just that it come to an end with it, yeah. without him disgracing himself in front of right. 80 million people. Unlike Sergio Ramos. Correct. Yeah. Um, and again, that was very, very bad because that was quoted back as an isolated quote to some of the experts um, doing the Sky Live Saturday program in Germany, uh, Lothar Matthäus, Christoph Metzelda, and they reacted quite badly to it, but having really, I think, been done a disservice by their producers and the people in the studio who didn't give them any context of the court whatsoever. But it created a big debate, and uh, yeah, his book will be out in mid-May. Plenty of context in that, eh? Sounds like it's going to be a terrific read. Have you got a title yet? The title is, and it's his own idea, uh, World Cup Winner Without Talent. <laughs> How do you say that in German? I'm, I'm guessing it's snappier. Weltmeister ohne Talent. There you go. Is that all one word? No. Andrew Lang, hey, uh, more top goals 
Matt, I don't know if you saw... Did you see Jamie Vardy's? I did see Jamie Vardy's. Wow. It was kind of David Platt against Belgium-esque, no. was that? No, was that? No, 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 no. It was Del Piero against Fiorentina-esque. Okay, all right. That's what it was. Jamie, the thing about Jamie Vardy is that was a brilliant goal, mm. but his first reaction is to is to go and give some stick to the West Brom supporters. <laughs> He's a very difficult man to like, isn't he, he No, I, I really like Jamie Vardy, and I would say that he is... He's, you know, he's one of England's. You know, when you look. Oh, he's our think, central striker if yeah. Harry Kane's not playing. Yeah. Uh, also, Martin Odegaard, remember him? Mm-hmm. From back in the day. He's still only 19. Scored an absolute stunner for here and then uh, against Ajax on Sunday. But did you see yes. Chiro Immobile's goal against Cagliari? Oh, yes. Oh, we should also include in the conversation Salomon Rondon because I don't think that goal got the, the love it deserved. Basically, it's a cross in from um, Ollie Burke. And the commentator said, oh, he, he only had Solomon Rondon to aim at and he put it, you know, he delivered it perfectly. But Solomon Rondon is being very closely marked and he manages to just stretch a leg round and perfectly deflect this, this pass into the net. I thought it was his superb goal, but still not as good as Chiro Immobile's, which was how, Rafa? Chiro Immobile is, is a cross that comes in, but it comes in behind him. So he has to basically almost run back and stretches out a leg... And then with the volley, heel. yeah, volley back heels it in a bit of a loop over the keeper. Uh, and this is from, in the 95th minute. Yeah, and this is from 14, 15 metres out. Yeah. Unbelievable goal. They're losing 1-0 and he does this. And I'd love to think that he meant it. But yeah, he did. You think it. so? Yeah, because there was nothing else. He wasn't, he wasn't able to try anything else apart from actually... Directed towards goal. Unless point. he was just you know, wildly swinging a leg and it happens to hit the precise yeah, bit of his heel. No, but it was, it was an amazing goal. We're, uh, we're, we'll compile links to all these and put them on our Twitter feed. Uh, sorry, Rafa. I still think that Vardy's goal is technically more difficult and more pleasing. Than because execution. of the assist and the, yeah. the finish. With, with his weaker foot as well, the finish oh, was. Yeah. Mm. That's true. Uh, let's get a little bit of news. Of course, that goal came as part of Leicester's 4-1 victory against West Brom, uh, which also, of course, featured the, the, that Rondon opener. Uh, Everton beat West Brom again. I mean, yeah, yeah but no news there. Everton beat Brighton 2-0. That's two in two now for Cenk Tosun. That was a nice, I love an in off the bar as well. It was mm. a slight deflection. It was rare that a deflection makes a goal look better, but it definitely did then. And another goal for Brighton's top scorer as well. Actually, I say top scorer, but... The behind Glen Murray, but oh gee, mm, I just did to bong though this time. Uh, Horrible tackle from Knockart as well on, on Leighton Baines. Goodness me, yeah, yeah but I, that's uh, nominative determinism, isn't it? Really, right there. So, yeah. there's, a, there's a funny one with Knockart because to speak to a Brighton fan I know well, he and very many other Brighton fans are well aware that Anthony Knockart is going through a heck of a lot in his personal life at the moment, ah. um, and has struggled um, to cope with with the loss of his father for an extended period of time. And there are Brighton fans who will be pleased that he is out of the limelight and out of the team for a few games because as soon as Brighton are safe, they are of the mind that he shouldn't really play for them, should be rested until the end of the season because he's he's struggling. And and, and it's a tribute to, to one of the sort of breakout stars of the season coming from the Bundesliga, Pascal Gross, who has mm. taken on knockouts, not his goal scoring from last season, but certainly taken on his creative influence and has been probably the best bargain signing of the season in the Premier League. Yeah. I mean, although 
Mo Salah, even at that price. Yeah, okay, fine. I mean, he was two and a half million from Ingolstadt, so it it was a a fine. (laughs) Um, Huddersfield had a nil-nil draw with Swansea. Huddersfield do take on Palace uh, this coming weekend. That's the 16th game without scoring for the Terriers. Uh, Despite having 82% possession, eh? Second uh, highest figure since Opta started doing the possession stats in a Premier League game. That That's remarkable. Mm-hmm. And they're usually on the other end of those stats, yeah. aren't they? Uh, Swansea, of course, uh, playing with 10 men because Jordan Ayew got sent off. He's going to miss FA Cup game with Spurs, Man United away and West Brom away. And the other game, of course, and the biggest news was Newcastle and their 3-0 win against Saints, moving themselves five clear of the bottom three. Daniel? Yeah, it was it was the performance they needed. Newcastle have been better away from home than at home this season. Rafa Benitez, how he, how is, he is as a managerial personality, prefers to play without the pressure to attack. Uh, and the Newcastle fans would like to see their team attack more. It's clearly their, their, their strength lies in central midfield and defence anyway. Um, but they got at Southampton. They scored very early, which always helps. Um, Kennedy has been a, a revelation. Because of the purse strings tightened by Mike Ashley, they were only able to bring in loan signings. And, and yet two of those loan signings, Martin Dubravka and Goal and, and Kennedy, have been two of the best signings in January. They're, they've been phenomenal. Um, and they're not safe yet, but with the running they've got and the running the teams in the bottom four have got left this season, they, they could well be safe. Um, Southampton are wretched. Yeah, one of those teams being, yes, of course, they are. Southampton, where things have taken... An, does it feel a bit of a turning point with I, uh, the, the manager calling out the players for their lack of effort and yeah, spirit? He, he, it's never a good sign, that, is it? As Frank no. Lampard said on Match of the Day, when the manager questions the spirit, that's never a good sign. They've only beaten West Brom since November what? in the Premier League. Oh, my word. The weird thing about Southampton is they've kind of... Um, I wrote a piece about Football 365, but they basically have, have not committed to disaster. They, they, they lose a few and then they draw a few and it just keeps the... Pellegrino away from the trapdoor and sometimes that's the worst thing you know we've seen with Swansea this season and possibly with Palace too that fully committing to all-out disaster works because it it forces the club to make a change mm. whereas Southampton have just limped along and limped along and dropped a piece of a place every couple of weeks and the moment they they found disaster at Newcastle is probably too late and it, with the running they've got they've got to play five of the top six uh, five of the top eight in the last six games I think really um I think I mean, I know. Last time Arsenal, Chelsea, the next three. It, it, I, I feel like I'm saying every club's going to go down. At well, the moment, so far but... you've got West Ham and Saints. <laughs> yeah, West Ham, and Saints, and West Brom. West Brom. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, that makes sense. So one point above the drop at the moment, though. So still everything to play for. We're going <laughs> to come back in a second or two because we've still got lots for you, listener. If you want to stick around, you can get the odds course from Paddy Power. You can hear about the old firm game. A little bit about Italy, Championship and Dulwich Hamlet update. Listeners, do you like shaving and looking smooth and clean? Yes! But do you enjoy having to go to the shops for new razors and other shaving supplies? No! Well, Cornerstone gives you everything you need for a great shave and they'll deliver it all right to your door. Cornerstone's super sharp, award-winning blades are engineered in Germany, which is always a good sign, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Get £10 off your first order and check out the range for yourself at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. That Dulwich Hamlet update, they've played twice since last week. Haven't sorted anything out off the pitch, but on it they played twice. Oh, their goalkeeper scored a 90th minute winner 
wet Brentwood on Thursday. And then Saturdays, you no doubt know, Daniel, they drew 2-2 with Brightling Sea Regent. They have, off the pitch, they have announced that they're going to ground share with Tooting and Mitcham United, which is, um, it's at least a, a halfway resolution to get their games on for the rest of the season, which is the most important thing. And, and good... Good on Tooting and Mitchum because they are Dulwich's biggest rival and their other biggest rival at Everhead and they've offered the um, bar receipts for, of their take for this game this weekend to go to Dulwich. Um, if any of our listeners are South East London based like I am, there is a, a march uh, from Goose Green, which is near Champion Hill, which is all locked up at the moment. On Saturday, uh, you, if you follow Save the Hamlet on Twitter, you get all the details on okay. that. But um, families, kids, everybody um, invited to attend that. I'll be there. All right, and you could also go along on Tuesday night when they'll be playing Met Police in the semi-final of the Velocity Trophy. There you go. Uh, that, I believe, Crook is at Tuesday Mitcham. Hmm? Crook plays for Met Police. Does he? Yeah. Crook? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Football, eh? Uh, yeah, at Dulwich Hamlet FC is their Twitter handle, and that's splendid. Uh, ooh, we've got two Forest fans here. And mm. the Championship fixture list this weekend featured the East Midlands derby had a go it was a, a, a pretty terrible football match yeah. oh. um, it was one of the, there's two ties of game in the championship I, or stereotypical games one is that it's absolutely ludicrous and goals flying randomly and, and from all players and, and Hull Norwich this weekend was one of those uh, Hull won 4-3 and there's the other game which starts off slowly and very bitty and gradually builds to a kind of crescendo at the end but is basically a bad football match, and this was a bad football match. And I say that as a as a as a Forest fan who feels sick whenever we play Derby anyway. But yeah, it was it was terrible. Fair, um, it was it was not a good advert for the league. Mm. But we didn't lose it. Forest, <laughs> <laughs> Forest looked much more of a, of a coherent team than they did a couple of weeks ago. And, so Karanka's working out then. Yeah, uh, I think so. He, I mean, he, from what I heard, he was he was basically two games from the sack after. He'd managed for eight games because we he'd, he'd beaten Wolves away and then lost every other game. Ah. Uh, and the rumours were that they were already sweating on him. Um, but he demanded 10 players in the last two days of the January transfer window. The club went with it because that's what Forrest do. And he has, thankfully, addressed the slump. OK. Uh, Birmingham's new boss, Gary Monk, is in a slump himself. Two defeats in a week, this time 3-2 to Cardiff, who now closed the gap to just three points on Wolves at the top of the Championship. Wolves having lost 4-1 at, at Villa in a, in a massive game this weekend. There'll be more of all this kind of thing in the Totally Football League show, which will be up Tuesday afternoon with Ian McIntosh and the gang. On Wednesday, we will present a new Golazzo, in which we'll be looking forward to Inter Sampdoria at the weekend, uh, talking about Roberto Mancini's extraordinary past with Sampdoria and also, I think, featuring one of the most remarkable finales to a football game that I ever saw, which was a previous Inter-Sampdoria. And details to follow, just to say that this weekend Inter warmed up nicely with a nil-nil draw against Napoli at San Siro this Sunday night. Wasn't a bad game, Rafa, although you're grimacing. It, it kind of ties in with that, it, the finishing problems. There was some nice football. Just yeah, I mean, I, I must admit finishing. I dipped in and out of the game, uh -huh. but it didn't seem to be, um, whenever I dipped out, I didn't have the feeling that I missed much. You had when to I get back in. Back. Right. Okay. Napoli, as a result, have now slipped off the top of the table. And I think that's been so frustrating. I mean, it's always a bit frustrating as a neutral to see a nil nil draw, but to see Napoli effectively handing the initiative back to Juventus mm. is is quite painful. Even though I think we've all be, begrudgingly come to admire this Juventus, especially after what they did on, on Wednesday night uh, at Wembley, 
it would have been still so nice to see Napoli win it this year, and I yeah. think they might have thrown it away. Well, we'll see. We'll see, because you know maybe the Champions League, maybe that'll mess with Juve's heads. I don't know. They picked up their 11th win in a row in the league on uh, Saturday. 2-0 against Udinese, both goals from Dybala, who's now suddenly decided to start scoring goals again. France, PSG beat Mets 5-0. That is so PSG. Isn't it, though? Mm. Timothy Weyer came on. Oh, did he come he? on again? Yeah, I think he came on again, which is it's nice. That is it's nice, a, It's isn't a it? nice story within a yeah. not particularly nice club. Where, ooh, whereas <laughs> with Scotland, you had that Celtic Rangers game. I saw a bit of this. I was um, preparing for, for another game I was doing, and it, it's just so much fun. I think the, the noise that you get when a goal goes in in an old firm game from the crowd is different to pretty much any other football match. It is so visceral and guttural. It just the, the whole, I, it had everything five goals, uh, a ridiculous miss. Rangers should have won the game. They really should have won the game, but they, they couldn't see it out. And uh, Celtic have just got a little bit more quality. And uh, yeah, Brendan Rodgers was was lapping it up. All right, three two. Despite them playing with just ten men, Celtic. Oh yeah, finishing. of course, the red card as well. Yeah, yeah, the other key ingredient to any um, match based on rivalry. They are now nine points clear in the SPL. That is the football. Now let's get the odds on everything that's going to be happening this week in football. Well, from Paddy Power with Ben Green. Thank you, James. I'm here with Lee Price. Lee, it's Cheltenham week, but we're not going to talk about horses. We're going to talk about the football. Is that all right? Thank God, yeah. I'm grateful for you for that. Okay, so let's start with movers and shakers today. United and Chelsea, they've both got their second legs in the Champions League. They're both quite tightly poised. What happens if they both go out of Europe? What (laughs) odds are you giving on that? Yeah, they both go out of Europe. Cue massive hand-wringing from the English media. Uh, Chelsea, we're massively odds-on they go out. They're 1-6, to six, which is hugely odds-on. Uh, they've got a chequered history at the new Camp, but at least they've got a less provocative manager than Mourinho these days. United, though, I think look a bit better. Uh, they actually dare to attack on Saturday against Liverpool. Uh, we think they're 13-8 to eight to go out. If you want to double them up, they're 2-1. to one. You massively unpatriotic so-and-so. OK, and uh, you've got a money-back special going on both of these games. We have, and I think you might want to bet on it, Ben. Uh, it's money-back as a free bet if an English team wins the match you bet on. And that applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scorers, correct score and what odds paddy markets. Max refunds £10 per game. All right, let's move from the Champions League to the Europa League. Uh, Arsenal, they've turned a corner, the season's back on. Um, <laughs> so they beat Milan 2-0 at San Siro. Is there any way they're going to balls it up at home? Any other team, you'd say no. But if you wanted a final chapter for the Arsenal fan TV era, this could be perfect for it. They tried their best against Ostersunds. Milan aren't a bad team. Milan are 8-1 to one to go through. I think Arsenal just about hang in and get knocked out in the next round. OK, to the Premier League then. Um, it's very, very ugly now at the London Stadium. West Ham, their form is dreadful under Moyes, really. Uh, 19 points from 21 games since he took over. And uh, with this toxic atmosphere that everyone's talking about now, are they going to go down? Yeah, I mean, on paper they look all right. Uh, on grass they look awful. And there's one thing uglier than those scenes, it's their form at the minute. We actually think they'll survive by the skin of their teeth. There are four favourites to go down behind West Brom, Stoke and Southampton. So they're 21 to 10 to go down. Not this season, I think. Well, I imagine that West Brom are even more of a certainty with you to go down. But uh, what happens, uh, what, what can I get for them not picking up another point this season? Yeah, poor old West Brom. I'm almost feeling sorry for Alan Pardew, which is quite something. They're 1-33 to 33 to go down, so you've got to bet £33 to win a single quid for them to get relegated. They're gone. Not to win a single point is just 4-1, to one, which is indicative of the situation there. Definitely taxi for Pardew time. 
You can get those odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only, begambleaware.org, and when the fun stops, stop. That brings us to the end of today's Totally Football show. It's many thanks to Matt Davis. Thanks, James. Many thanks to Daniel Story. Thank you as ever. And many thanks to Raphael Honigstein. Dankeschön. Bitteschön. Anything else you want to add before we press stop? No. Okay, then. Here we go, listeners. Bye. See you Thursday or Wednesday or Tuesday if you happen by before then. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Gentlemen, are you feeling a bit crap? Well, you're not alone. Everyone does at some point. But the thing people don't realise is just how common it is in chaps like you and me. Last year, 76% of all the suicides in Britain were male. That's 4,287 men, a figure not much smaller than the average League 2 attendance last season. On average, 12 men take their own life every single day, meaning that the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide. But that's part of the problem. There's still a strong social stigma around depression and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and seeking help when they need it. That's why we at the Totally Football Shows are working with Calm. They're the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight, they provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website and a free magazine packed with the kind of information you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough time, as well as some cracking stuff on comedy, bands, film and of course football too. So if you are feeling crap, find Calm at thecalmzone.net for support and some straight-up manspiration.